Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Hey friends, today I'm feeling very lucky, very lucky that I have the opportunity to talk about a subject that's fairly misunderstood. The topic of conversation today is gender transitioning. Before my next guest, Mac, transitioned, he was a successful female athlete, champion, competitor, and business owner. Now he works to educate and train various corporations, colleges, and groups on topics such as diversity, gender, and healthy masculinity. Mac is dedicated to creating a world where people can feel free to be their authentic selves. So I cannot wait to dive into this conversation with him. Hey, Mac, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Candace. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I want to start here. You were born female, but you now identify as male. So can you walk us through what was it like growing up for you? And when did you start to feel the disconnect from your gender? Yeah, I have a very interesting story. I started changing my name playing with other kids when I was four years old to a masculine name. And I grew up in the Bible Belt in the South where I had absolutely no exposure to the LGBTQ community at all. So there was no influence <laughs> about that. Um, and I just knew that the Southern Bell type name I was given didn't fit. And the things that were the kind of society expected of me didn't fit. Of course, I didn't know how to explain it at four years old, other than just to change my name to a masculine name. And my grandfather and I had a couple of shows we watched together. It was our thing. And one of them was Western called Gunsmoke. And uh, so I told all the kids my name was Matt Dillon, who's the sheriff on Gunsmoke. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that. So did anybody question as you were growing up? Did your grandparents say anything? Did the other kids that you were hanging with, did they ever say anything about your name choice or did they just kind of roll with it? Everybody just kind of rolled with it. You know, it was funny. I mean, I dressed different. You know, my grandmother kept trying to put, my mom had me at 16. So my grandparents helped raise me when I was young and I'm very grateful for them or I'd have probably been a foster kid. Um, they were amazing. But, you know, my grandmother kept trying to put the cute little dresses on me and the little frilly socks and all that stuff. And I, I wanted to wear jeans and cowboy boots and little six shooters and a cowboy hat. And, you know, uh, so that's the way I dressed. So, you know, when you're little, I did have long blonde hair. Um, and, but nobody, yeah, kids just rolled with it. You know, kids role play all the time. So I don't think at the time anybody thought anything of it. And one of the funny things is, when you're born with an F, you know, you're born female, the magic letter, I call it, that somebody looks at a baby and gives them and puts on a piece of paper. And that magic letter follows you the rest of your life and has huge impacts on your life. You know, the implications a lot of people don't even think about. Um, they go to the opportunities you'll have in life, societal expectations, your safety, how much money you'll be able to make or not make whether you might be drafted or not, all these things have to do with a letter that somebody looks at a baby and gives them. You know? um, 
yeah, so a lot of people don't think of how, how much that impacts you. But when you're born with an F and you're young, you can be a tomboy and that's just kind of accepted. And it's, it's you know, people think it's cute uh, until you get a certain age and then they expect you to grow out of it. You know, so it was an interesting experience. Of course, I didn't grow out of it. The other thing is I found my, I found my soulmate at six years old and that's the martial arts. And um, that also gave me an outlet to show strength and, and to show more masculine qualities, I would say. And it was, of course, celebrated there because I was a warrior. You know? <laughs> and I began competing very young and, and was the top in my belt rank and age class all the way up until I was 17 when I won the U.S. lightweight fighting title. And then ended up on the U.S. karate team and traveling all over and competing all over the world. Wow, I never even thought about that before. So you say the F um, came with some limitations. When did you start to feel that growing up? Well, I mean, I felt it very young. That's why I started changing my name. I felt that I didn't fit, you know, when they wanted me to wear certain clothes that didn't, I didn't feel like resonated with me, you know. I felt it was very different from who I was. Um, I also was the, I was just like, I was just like a little boy. I would collect sticks and rocks. I'd come home with my pockets full of sticks and rocks you know? <laughs> to, you know, go around in the woods and, you know, just hang out. And my grandfather, you know, uh, owned a lot of property and taught me how to drive the tractor and garden. And we did a lot of that kind of stuff together and fish. And, um, you know, so but but then, as of course, as I got older, I understood more that I had to kind of play this game, you know, of of, of doing some of those expectations. Um, otherwise, especially in a religious community in the Bible Belt, you'll kind of you'll be ostracized, you know, and they kind of threaten that you'll lose community, and uh, that's hard. So I was trying to navigate. Then, as I got older, I was I'm very observant. And, you know, I understood that I had to play this little bit of a, you know, it was kind of a bob and weave navigating game of how much can I get away with being myself, but not be ostracized. And that's, I think, what a lot of LGBTQ kids or people that are different in general in any way feel like they have to do is navigate the societal expectations while trying to find a way to be true to who you are at the same time. It's challenging. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine like just growing up identifying with your gender and going through life and trying to um, be accepted by society and the norms that come along with it is hard enough. So to add that complexity to it must have been so hard. And I love how you bring up that piece of community because when you have other people that understand you and accept you for who you are, then that's so huge. So how was it like growing up? Did you always feel like this big, heavy weight on your shoulders weighing your, you down? Uh, it, it was definitely a weight. It was definitely a weight that I realized, especially because I wanted to be successful in what I was doing. And I was having success. And I also knew in order to be successful, you even more have to play the game. 
if you're okay with being, you know, kind of an outcast and not being successful, you know, there are limitations, right, on 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 successful people on how they they navigate the world. If you don't fit into the societal norm, it's harder. I mean, we can look at a lot of a lot of people like Lady Gaga, even you know, who struggled because they were different, just because she was different, you know, um, and. You know, a lot of people don't understand. And when people don't understand you, they they kind of push you aside, you know, or they kind of, uh, you know, say you're not somebody to be celebrated until until you do something crazy outstanding. And so when I won the, the you know, the U.S. fighting title and I just kept winning and winning, um, it was harder, of course, for people to push you aside. Then, you know, I, I also traveling took me out of the little community of the Bible Belt and allowed me to see more of the world and realize, well, I wasn't the only LGBTQ person out there, right? I wasn't the only one different in the world, right? Which which really helps you as well. Um, because, you know, when I was growing up, I'm in my mid-50s now, there wasn't the internet to find community, you know, so I didn't have any way really to find community at that time. Um, and so, you know, getting to travel and see other people that are different was a big help because when you feel like you're the only one, that's a very lonely path to walk. Okay, so there you are just wanting to be who you are and not have to earn acceptance from um, winning a title. And Lady Gaga, yeah, sure she was this massive success, but people didn't understand who she was and in order to gain that acceptance, it was kind of like she had to prove herself or to, or to be super successful. And that's just like you with these winning these competitions, you, you don't need a title to just be accepted for who you are. Like, aren't we just enough as we are? So, um, Lady Gaga, was she a mentor of yours or did you have back then in your time, any mentors to help guide you through what you were going through? Yeah, well, Lady Gaga is not old enough to be my mentor, but I mean, I I certainly respect her and her journey. Um, yeah, you know, people like Marlena Dietrich, uh, and now we're going way back, but I remember when I was very young and I watched a TV primetime special with my grandmother of Marlena Dietrich, and it was a one-woman, one-hour show, and I was mesmerized by her. If you don't know who she is, I, I tell everybody to look her up because she's quite um, an icon in the LGBTQ plus community. She was the first woman to kiss another woman on the big screen. And you're talking back, <laughs> you're talking way back. She was an out bisexual woman when that was not okay and not cool. And she was just who she was regardless. And one minute, what fascinated me, I remember as a young person is one minute she would be in this beautiful ballroom gown and her hair done just perfect you know like she's at a ball and she'd sing this song and then a few minutes later she'd come out in a man's military uniform you know and with a long cigarette and she would she played this played with gender in a way i hadn't seen before and it just fascinated me and it kind of said to me that i wasn't so stuck like, wow, if she can do that, then maybe I'm not so stuck in these rigid gender roles that 
you know, the people where I grew up, <laughs> you know, have set, right? Um, maybe there's some flexibility in this because she's doing it. And so I never forgot her. I was just so fascinated by her. And then as I got older, I did more research on her and her history and then learned that she was very out as a bisexual woman in that time. And we're talking back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Wow, I can't even imagine how much bravery that must have took for her to openly come out and celebrate who she was. But what a gift to so many other people who were in the same shoes. Because back then, like you say, like that wasn't the norm. Like that was frowned upon. So yeah, how cool that she was able to just step into who she was and not worry about what everybody else was thinking about her. And I mean, even if she did, to be that example for the up and coming people or people around her. Well, yeah. And even movie studios that, you know, she was working for, if people were gay or bisexual or any kind of, uh, you know, on the LGBTQ spectrum, they would cover it up, right? And they would have them act straight when they were out in public. And, you know, they had to play this game all the time. I mean, you know, we know, we all know celebrities that, that if you think of the older celebrities that had to play that game, you know, so for her to be that bold at that time was, was really pretty revolutionary. And that's why she's such an icon in the community. She really paved the way for a lot of people. Yeah, I know. And I just believe sometimes, you know, there's moments or people or different situations that definitely change your life. So this was someone for you that had a massive impact. So after seeing that special, how long did it take for you then to step into who you are? Did you, um, did it come? And when did you start telling people about your authentic self or did you, did that take a while? Wow. I mean, it's, you know, I just started living some as myself. So I'm also bisexual. So I'm a transgender guy who's bisexual or pansexual, whatever you want to say. That's a, that's a newer word. But you know, when I was young, the, the word transgender wasn't even around. So, I mean, there, I didn't have the language and I didn't have anybody to teach me the language and there wasn't the internet to learn the language at the time. Right. <laughs> All I knew was where I grew up, the only the only acronym I was hearing was WWJD, what would Jesus do? And they were telling me he wasn't having anything to do with these other letters, LGBTQ+, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it was a wild. So I didn't know how to, like, you know, when you talk about language, it's come a long way since then. About even the words we use to describe who we are, right? There's There's so much more now to be able to describe who you are, which I think is wonderful. You know, I think it's also wonderful that the community has taken the word queer back that was used against the community for so long. And we've taken that back, uh, which I love. And it, I think that's empowering, but yeah, I didn't have all that. So I just started trying to live more and more as who I was, you know, but I was also, you know, still, you know, running, I owned a dojo, I'm traveling all over the world competing, I'm being celebrated as the top female in my field. And I had a lot of pressure because I had women writing to me telling me I had broken a lot of glass ceilings in the martial arts. 
you know, by the time I retired or before I retired, I was the highest ranking female martial artist in the world cumulatively. I have a fourth degree black belt or above in 17 different martial arts. And a 10th degree is my highest, which is as high basically as you can go. And uh, so I had women that were, you know, I, I had inspired, right? Because I was doing things that hadn't been done. And I also felt a lot of pressure that if I totally came out about who I am, how would this make those women feel, right? Would this negate all that I had done to inspire them? And I didn't want that. I felt a lot of pressure in that because I've fought for women's rights as an athlete and I continue to fight for women's rights today. I will always do that because I lived 42 years of that experience before I medically transitioned. I will never forget that. And I honestly think that makes me a better man. So. Oh my gosh. So that makes me so emotional. Um, like you said, when you inspire people, there's pressure to be a certain way. So even thinking for myself, like who I was five years ago, maybe is not who I am now. And the people who I was inspiring five years ago who were, who were um, following along the journey, maybe I'm not speaking to those same people now because of my own evolution and growth. So as a female, all these other females looked up to you because you were breaking the glass ceiling, showing them what was possible. But you're also allowed to evolve and grow and might not be everything to them anymore or what they need from you. So I feel like there's so much pressure um, for people when you have, when you are that for them, when you inspire them and they're looking up to you to stay stuck or to stay there. There's a certain pressure. So you said you medically transitioned at 42. When did you start revealing yourself to the people that were surrounding you and what was that like? Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, in my 30s, I would say I went on, um, I had a group of friends that we were all either entrepreneurs or high up in, in companies, you know, um, executive. And we would vacation together once a year. There was like 12 of us and it was a lot of fun. And uh, they were all all women. And they would always tell me, it's so funny that we're on this vacation, all women, they look at me except you, Mac. And they <laughs> They let me, this was before I ever transitioned <laughs> and we were all really good friends and they loved me and I loved them, but they knew that there was just something different. A lot of them were lesbians, but they knew I didn't even quite fit into that. Right. That wasn't the only, you know, <laughs> that wasn't the only part of me. And so um, I didn't start medical transition until I retired from competition because they would have not allowed me to compete. So that's what kept me from starting medical transition earlier. You know, um, the U.S. Olympic Committee is still trying to figure out what to do with transgender athletes, and especially in a contact sport. And all my awards are in sparring and fighting. So that would, yeah, I knew that I wouldn't be able to keep competing. They would have thrown, thrown a wrench in that. And so such a rare opportunity that I had to be on the U.S. karate team and to, and to compete in these amazing events and travel. And I had been on it since, from 17 to 39, which is a really long career. 
I just happened to have really good genetics as an athlete. And I, I was in the world championships at 39 years old. And I made the team again, which you have to try out again every year to make the team. I mean, they bring the top 100 athletes and you try out against each other to make the spots on the team. And I was the oldest one, male or female, on the team that year, 30 at 39. And I had these 18 and 19-year-olds calling me the grandparent of the team. <laughs> <laughs> I won two medals in that world championships and looked at my clock and said, this would be a really smart time to retire. <laughs> Since they're calling me the grandparent, I can go out winning two medals and, you know, that'll be good. And so that's when I retired. And that's when I began the process of really researching medical transition and all of that, because I knew I could still be a coach and a referee, and that would be fine if I transitioned, but competing was a whole different ballgame. Okay. And so what did people say? Um, I know sometimes, I guess in my own experience, there's been people who it's like, they come out and you're like, yeah, we, we already all knew that, but we're really happy that you feel safe enough to come out and just be who you are. But I love how you say this group of girls that you went on this vacation with, um, they just knew and just loved you anyways. Um, so what was some of the reactions that you got after you started to share? I would say it was mixed. It was really interesting. Um, it was, there were some people that it kind of freaked out. I had a couple of close friends that said, oh, you're going to become one of those male chauvinist jerks. And I said, how, I mean, my response to that was, how could I do that? I've lived this experience <laughs> walking in these shoes, you know, for a long time. And I know, especially as a, a female athlete in a very male dominated world of martial arts and sports in general, I had faced sexism and I knew what all that was. So you know, I didn't feel like I could ever become that person, right? Um, and then I also had some lesbian friends that were like, well, I don't understand, you know, we're losing all of our butches. There was that kind of a, you know, because some of you are transitioning, well, because that was a safe place for us to be for a while. You know, one of the few safe places to be as a, tra as a trans masculine person is in the lesbian world because they do celebrate their butches. And so mm -hmm. that's hang out until we, <laughs> until we figure out if we're going to transition and how we're going to navigate that, you know, but then some of our lesbian friends get a little like, Oh, you're leaving our club. You're leaving our team. And, you know, and I, I just had to walk through it and assure people that this wasn't that I didn't love women. This wasn't that I didn't, you know, wouldn't still fight for women's rights. I'm still who I am, but this is who I've always been, you know? And I mean, I went through my own questioning as well, inside, a battle inside of myself because of the sexism I had dealt with of do I want to be a part of this group of people that has caused a lot of harm and a lot of damage to people because a lot of, you know, men go along kind of numbly and don't even realize you know what they're doing it's just boys will be boys bs right <clears throat> and then i heard my grandfather's voice in the back of my head whose my grandparents have passed on now but i heard his voice he always taught me the best way to create change is from within if you see something you want to change you got to get in there and get involved and that's what told me what we need is more good guys 
standing up for the right things, being decent human beings, supporting women. And I can be there and set that example. So mm-hmm. that's that's the battle inside that went on around. That, you know? Okay, so when you started to make that transition um, and identify as male and then do the physical transformation, what was it that propelled you forward to make that decision? Um, here's something that I'm just is coming up and I'm just asking out of curiosity because I'm really ignorant to it all. So um, did you feel growing up that you just, you know, were all masculine and feminine? And so did you just feel like you had a lot more masculinity, the masculine energy? Um, What was it that actually helped you make the decision to make that change? Because that's a big step. Well, I had definitely, well, you know, I got a, first of all, I did a lot of research around being, being the athlete that I've been my whole life and my body's always been a fine tuned machine for me. I wasn't, you know, a lot of trans people hate their bodies. Um, there's something called gender dysphoria and that's like, and it's not just trans people that have that. I, I've, um, I've personal been a personal trainer for folks that hate their bodies that are not trans, right? There's a lot of people that have some sort of body dysphoria, right? Um, But that means in the trans community, a lot of people can't stand to look at their body because they don't feel it represents them, right? They feel like it's the opposite, but that's societal conditioning, I believe. One of the things I realized is, is that our society has taught us that, right? And gender is not just black and white. It's not a binary system. Gender is a spectrum like everything else. So I have not bought into that. You know, I've never hated my body like a lot of trans people because as an athlete, my body gave me a lot of privilege and opened a lot of doors for me. It allowed me to travel. It allowed me a lot of privilege. And so I've appreciated my body. Now, there's definitely some things I wanted to change, but I didn't hate my body, right? So I wanted to go through this transition in the healthiest way possible because my body has always been such a, you know, such a great vehicle for me. So I did research around finding, you know, the best doctors and, and, you know, the healthiest way to do this, which is what led me to move to Seattle, actually, because where I was, you know, grew up in the Bible Belt in the South, there weren't many doctors and therapists and support community you know, where you could talk to people who had been through it and doctors that had experience with this. So um, Seattle, as you know, my research showed was one of the better places to go where you had community and people who really understood what they were doing with this. So I got a really and my doctor said to me right away when I started HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. So I started taking shots of testosterone. And that was about 12 years ago now. Um, my doctor said, if we do this right, you will feel more at home in your body than you've ever felt. And if you don't communicate with me and we will adjust the levels until we get you where you feel. And she's just an amazing doctor, just spends a lot of time with you, walks you through it all. She teaches other doctors about how to treat the trans community now. Um, she's just amazing. She's written a couple of books on it. 
And now sometimes her and I co-teach and she teaches the medical side. And I teach from the patient's point of view because I've been a speaker. We started doing this together. So it's really wonderful, but she's right. We got it to where I have felt more at home in my body than I ever have. And that, that's what I wanted. Like before I felt this angst, like that I just, something wasn't congruent, right? It just wasn't right. And now I don't feel. Wow. What a beautiful transition feeling at home in your body. When you get there, it just feels like a warm hug wrapping its arms around you to just start feeling so much more aligned as a whole. Because it sounds like you had a really great upbringing. You had grandparents who loved you. You were in this competitive sport, which you absolutely loved. You had some great friends growing up, but there was still part of you you were feeling some angst with because you weren't showing up as yourself. So I love that when you make the decision to go in and reveal who you are, you can start to really feel at home and feel that ease. It sure is. And you know, when you asked me about coming out, um, one of the things I, I did when I came out and to try to get people to understand is I talked about, and I still do this, if we really love someone, if someone, you know, if we care about them as a friend or whatever, right, we, we will want them to be able to live in their true authenticity, right? If I care about you at all, I want that for you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's love anyway, right? And so, you know, what I tried to do is talk to my friends about the value of all of us living in our own authenticity, whatever that is. And that I want to celebrate them living in theirs and that I hope that they want to celebrate that for me too. Yeah. And and... It's the game for them in the way I, I really found when you talk to people in that way, you know, I'm a teacher. That's my heart. Right. And so when I, I, I try to find ways to build bridges with people so they can create understanding. And that is one of the keys I've found to helping people understand. Okay, so I had this question in the back of my mind before we even started this conversation, and this kind of leads me to ask, when you, like, let's say for an example, if I were to meet you at a coffee shop and I didn't know you and we connected and had a really great conversation, do you feel the need to have to tell me as a trans person that that's part of who you are? Or do you feel that that's something that you don't even have to share? Like we could just have a conversation or is that like something that's really important to who you are that you feel like you need to be sharing? Yeah, I'm comfortable at this point being who I am without having to have that conversation. Now, if there was some situation where I was going to, you know, ask you out on a date or we were talking in that way, that would be different because I think that's important in that context it's more important right for you to understand that or the person i'm talking to to understand that but otherwise yeah i'm i don't have to reveal that now i fly the flag high and i only do that because i live out loud who i am because i'm not ashamed of it and i think that that helps other people be able to when they see that example 
be able to live in their authenticity and encourages them. It gives them courage to do it when they see other people do it. And especially when they see people do it in a way that actually enjoy their life. Like my wife and I are happy. We have a great relationship. I'm here in Colorado with my grandkids right now. We have a great life. And so for people to be able to, you know, live in their authenticity and show that it's not doom and despair, right? Like a lot of people think if you're trans, it's all bad, right? No, it isn't. <laughs> I have an absolutely great life. You know, there are definitely some things that are challenging about it. And so what are some of those challenges that you've had to face or overcome in this on this journey? Mm. Well, when you turn on the news, and almost any day you turn on the news, you can find some story about them trying to create a law that transgender people can't do this or that. <laughs> that is it's just hard on your psyche to constantly hear that people want to outlaw you from doing basic things like going to the bathroom. <laughs> you know? I mean, because what trans people are very vulnerable in public bathrooms anyway, this is what people don't realize. We, It's more likely something you know, could happen to the trans person, right? And, and so, and trans people just want to get in and out of there and do what they have to do and get out of there because it's scary. Um, so I think always having to look over your safety in that situation, that's what a lot of people don't understand is even as accomplished as I am, I don't want to have to fight my way out of every public bathroom, for goodness sakes, who would want to do that, right? Even though I can fight, it's not what you want to do, right? So that it's a, it's a constant hypervigilance in our safety in those situations. Um, and those are some things a lot of people don't realize and think about. I think the other side of the sexist um, coin has been really interesting because now I've experienced this, I would say, in three categories. I experienced what it was like sexism as a female, right, in the world and 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 mm -hmm. business owner as a champion. Um, and then when you are in the first couple of years of medical transition, you're kind of in this in-between phase where people don't know what category to put you in while all these changes are happening, right? And so people are extremely uncomfortable with that phase because they don't know what to, how to address you. <laughs> if you can, I observed this, you know, I'm a great observer of life and and it was really interesting to watch people fumble around and how uncomfortable they were with that. And now on this side of it, you know, now if I walk into a place, I'm, I look like a middle-aged businessman and I've experienced interesting things on this side too, where if I walk into a restaurant, a woman may have been standing there waiting to be seated longer and they'll walk right past her and offer me a table. Well, due to my life experience, I recognize this, whereas most cisgender guys, it's not even on their radar. They don't even realize it's happened, right? <laughs> and I point out, you know, she was here waiting before I came in. Oh, oh, okay. And the, the woman will look at me like, you know, who are you? Because no guy ever realizes that, right? <laughs> um, and the other thing is, like, I recognize things like, if I'm walking, you know, downtown at night and a woman is pass walking by herself, she doesn't know if I'm safe or not, right? So she walks faster. So I slow down and give her a lot of room, you know, but I recognize it because I lived it 
again, that's, those are things I've talked to cisgender guys about. I teach guys in positive masculinity in my group about this. It's not on their radar until I have conversations with them about it. They go, oh, when they think about it, they go, yeah, I've seen women walk faster, but it didn't really register with them what was going on. Oh my gosh, this is so resonating. It's like, I do that too as a woman at night in anywhere in the dark by yourself. If there is a single male coming, a group of men coming, it's like, get the heck out of there, walk fast um, because of fear for safety. So it's so cool and so interesting that you have, you get to see both sides of that and then share that knowledge with other people. Okay, so another thing I want to ask is about the dating scene. So you have a wife now, and you said you have grandkids. So um, did your wife carry the children? Did you carry the children? Did you adopt? What did that look like? And what is it like for a trans person to date? Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Um, my wife already had two kids when we got married, and um, one of them was already grown and out of the house. And, uh, you know, one of them was in middle school, and now he's grown and out of the house. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been together eight years. So, um, so they were her kids uh, prior to. Um, and so, you know, that, that made that part easy. <laughs> Uh, she's always been a bisexual and came out as bisexual since she was young. Uh, so yeah, we both, you know, carry the queer torch and now she's in her doctoral studies, uh, doing her doctorate degree on, on gender and actually on women's sexual agency. So we're both teaching about gender and <laughs> working on these, on these, uh, issues. Yeah. It was, it, so the dating scene is really interesting. When I announced transition, I had a few people tell me, oh, now you're, you know, you're this celebrated, you know, butch in the lesbian community. And now, you know, you're going to have a hard time dating. Well, I, I wondered about that. And uh, because, you know, I mean, it is a, a whole nother thing, a big thing to navigate. Right. <laughs> but it depends on where you are. And in Seattle, it's not a big deal. Um, it's, it's actually people in Seattle actually celebrate not only diversity, but authenticity. So I appreciate that, you know, so it was a different world there. Uh, if I would have been in the Bible Belt, that'd have been a whole nother big thing to navigate, right? And scary thing actually to navigate. Okay. So you have brought this up a couple times, like the power of community. And with that is location. So you can be the exact same person doing the exact same thing in two different locations and have a completely different experience. So if you have that supportive community and can show up as yourself and be safe, that is so, so, so important. So I feel like anybody listening, that might be something that you maybe consider is your location and where you're at and are there different places that are more open and accepting so that you can really truly feel safe in being who you are. Sure is. It's a huge thing. And, you know, there's something um, very empowering about feeling like you have community, right? And community support. And 
and the mentorship that happens in community, right? Because I mean, I definitely mentor a lot of younger trans people, right? And I mentor people going through transition all over due to platforms like we're on right now. I get to, I've even mentored trans people in Okinawa and all over the place due to this kind of platform. Pretty amazing. But that is huge. Now, I have to say that I had the privilege because of being, you know, successful in my career and already having a formal education to, to be able to move, um, you know, and that that's not a, the case with a lot of people in the trans community. There's a lot of financial disparity. Um, there's a lot of cha challenges, right, in the, in the workforce. Now, one of the things I'm very proud of is I helped work on a program uh, at Super Purposes, which is a company that is a career training uh, company. And we did a special program for trans and gender nonconforming people to help them overcome the obstacles in the, in the job market. Because it's very challenging. Now, if you can imagine if I apply for a job, all of my education and a lot of my history is in the Bible Belt. In fact, my college degree is from Southern Baptist University. <laughs> so if you can imagine them having to call there and check my whatever, my degree, right? And my name wasn't the same. My gender wasn't the same. How is that conversation going to go? How do you navigate that? Do you call the college and come out to them? And boy, is that and try to explain this to them and hope they're going to get on board, which is I mean, that's a big obstacle, right? Or do you or you have to come out to the potential employer and explain the situation because they're going to run into these obstacles when they check your background? These are just some of the interesting obstacles that people in my community face. And that it's really challenging. And then, of course, you can be too much trouble, like in a job market with a lot of applicants, right? That's a lot to overcome. Yeah, I never even thought about that before and yeah what a challenge it would be because I mean there's more talk about it now but the acceptance I don't know it we need to come a whole lot farther in accepting the trans community as you know our equals so even thinking to like childhood when people are like, what was your childhood like? Oh, here's some pictures, but here I am, but here I am. Um, and kind of explaining that or, or always being like the topic of conversation. I don't know. So yeah, definitely so many challenges that we don't even think about. So I know you talked a little bit about what you are doing now so can you kind of share with us what your journey looks like? You know, you were a competitive athlete and you retired from that. And now you're doing some really amazing things. Well, I run a nonprofit now called Positive Masculinity. And I, and I just uh, published this book, Positive Masculinity Now. Um, and, you know, I started this discussion group, men's discussion group about four and a half years ago now when the height of the me too movement was happening i was watching this conversation and of course i had a lot of feelings about it because i had experienced some of these things myself that the women were talking about 
And yet I didn't see many men involved in the conversation, except the few guys that were fighting back saying, you're trying to take our manhood away. And, you know, that kind of craziness. And I didn't see many men involved in the conversation in a healthy way, right? Of, of how can we all work on this and move forward in a healthy way? And I, I thought that's wrong. We need to be involved in this and men and masculine people need to also realize that this toxic masculinity and traditional masculine model has also limited and hurt us. I mean, the well-known activist Bell Hooks said, the first victim of toxic masculinity is young boys. And the reason is, is because they're told right away, you can't be a feeling human. You have to shut that part of yourself off. We are creatures that were born with emotions, all of us. It doesn't have anything to do with your genitalia. We're born emotional beings. <laughs> but if you're born with, uh, you know, with an M, with that magic letter of an M, you're supposed to just shut that down. Um, you know, a lot of it. You're allowed like two or three emotions, you know, <laughs> like, and the rest you're supposed to pretend like they don't exist. And so, you know, I thought we need to be a part of this. So that's why I started the discussion group. And I called a good friend of mine, one of my best buddies who was a Kinsey scale six gay guy. And I knew he had had experience with toxic masculinity because he had grown up with a toxic masculine father who had really been awful to him growing up. And I said, Hey, you know, I think we need to start having these conversations with men and masculine people about this and be a part of it and a part of creating a healthier model for all of us to move forward. What do you think? Would you do this work with me? And he was like, Oh yes, let's do this. I love it. And so we started the discussion group and the book came from outlines and, and stuff from our discussions. We pick a different topic each month. It's a free online discussion group. Anybody that identifies as masculine can join. And we really tackle some amazing uh, subjects. You know, like we like next month, uh, it's uh, healthy masculine friendships. And I mean, this old traditional masculine modeling even affects, you know, women are really good at being able to share with their friends what's really going on inside them. Most women are. And men talk about sports and work generally. And they don't ever talk about how they're feeling or what's happening inside, right? Men also tend to talk standing shoulder to shoulder, not looking at each other, looking forward like they're at the ball game. <laughs> right? Each mm other -hmm. the eye, and women are much more, you know, <laughs> they actually see each other. And basically, uh, one of the things I'm teaching guys, the guys in this group is just how to be, you know, how to communicate with one another how to lean on one another, how to support one another, how to actually talk about what's going on for you and that that's what real friendship is. Yeah, there's just so much, you know, um, layers and layers of that modeling and social conditioning that we've been trained to believe and that people that have grown up male or socialized at all as male have been taught you know, I mean, guys are uncomfortable hugging friends they've had. I know guys that are brothers, blood brothers that are uncomfortable hugging each other, much less guys that have been friends since even elementary school, still uncomfortable hugging their friend they've had since they were kids. It's just crazy. 
it's not healthy, right? It's just mm -hmm. not healthy. So, so yeah, like these guys to communicate and open up and realize that it's okay to be an emotional being, right? And have feelings and talk about them. And, you know, the highest rate of suicide is among middle-aged men. And I think that's because what I call it the man mask. You hold up the man mask so long, you get to middle age and you realize, wow, I feel empty. I don't have any healthy relationships, right? I can't even have good relationships with my kids or my spouse because I, I, I'm closed down emotionally. You know, they get there and they just feel like that and they don't know what to do. So... Yeah, I'm trying to help in that way. It's inter it's a lot of interpersonal work. It's a lot of going back and re-examining the messages and modeling and social conditioning we had. And with a conscious adult mind deciding, is this serving me well today? Or should I do it in a healthier way, a better way? Mm, I love that. I know, like you said, you've had, you've been on both sides. So there's so much work that we need to do for female and there's so much that we need to do for male and and everybody in between or however you identify as so it's like I don't know I've never really thought of I, I feel kind of like blessed in this area I was just talking to a girlfriend the other day about it and I don't know but I never went uh I never had a religious upbringing I never went to church the first time I think it was when my friend's uncle passed away like I, I never had that that religious experience and it just allowed me to grow up deciding what I felt was um, important like kindness and um, connection and, and all these things where there wasn't this like pressure of like to be this way and so I've always kind of felt like the human like it, we're, we're a human race and it's like yeah there's a bunch of different cultures and beliefs but when we really like there's no like this race or that race we're the human race so when we can actually strip back and repair some of the things that have been conditioned on both sides then we can really um start to come together in harmony and love and accept one another and be able to show up authentically because when we do that if it's even if i, I think it's like even a little tiniest shift like one percent each I don't even know there's 6 billion people, something like that in the planet. If we all could just grow like 1%, can you imagine like the energy of the world, like as a collective with that love and understanding and openness. So I love that you're leading these conversations and really starting to change um, things going forward because, you know, how beautiful is that, that these, people who identify as masculine can actually tap into, you know, their human, their, their feelings and get over some of these barriers that they, they felt they can really live a really connected, loving, um, emotion filled life, which we should. Right. Yes. So, so much so. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so fulfilling. And I mean, I have, I have a couple of like real amazing success stories. Like one is a, an adult son and a father that come to my group and uh, the father started coming first. And then the young adult son started coming and they were not very close. They were very different people. You know, the dad's more of a hunter, fisher, construction guy, man's man type of guy, you know, <laughs> traditionally. And the son's more artsy and, and, uh, 
works in the mental health field and more more in touch with his feelings. So they just didn't really connect very well, right? And ever since coming to the group, the son actually wrote a blog. We have blogs on my website, positivemasculinitynow.org. And uh, the son wrote a blog for us about it, how it's totally transformed his relationship with his father and how now they talk about real things. And now they even feel comfortable hugging each other and they call each other when something's going on and actually talk through it together. And that just warms my heart. That's what it's all about. Right. And I just, I just love that. And, and, and now I also teach these things all over the place. I've taught the U S border patrol. I've teach about gender. I teach Seattle police department recruits. All the new recruits have to go through my gender class. I, I teach, I'm teaching people to think beyond their socialization and their social condition. Right. And I'm just teaching them to re-examine it and look at it for themselves, not just go along with the messaging they were taught, you know, without questioning some of that. And, uh, you know, I teach corporations. I do. That's the other thing I do is I do these workshops to help people try to get a larger perspective of this subject. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. I love all of the work that you're doing and yes, it should be a requirement. <laughs> so like how amazing that you get to do that and influence these people to, you know, ask more questions and become curious and maybe um, be more open and, and shift their beliefs, the things that they were conditioned in. So I love that you're doing that. So um, where can everybody find your book, follow you, keep up to date with what's happening and get connected? Well, the book is on Amazon now, Kindle and in print, Positive Masculine Now. And uh, I'm going into the studio in a couple of weeks to start the audio version. So that'll be out early next year. Um, And I'm excited about that because I know a lot of people, that's their favorite way to take this information in. (laughs) And PositiveMasculineNow.org is our website. All of our information is on there. And we're right now having our first ever essay content. And it is called Who's the Man? And we kind of played have fun with this name, Who's the Man? And the idea is to write about a man in your life who's been a positive influence and had a positive impact on your life and why. How, how has that happened? And anybody of any gender can write the essay. We have uh, different age categories from 11 up. And uh, we, we're just, in, you know, very interested in hearing from many perspectives about this. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Okay, well, thank you again. I have learned so much from, from this hour with you, and I can't wait to follow along your journey. And when the book is out on Kindle, I'll listen in and hear you telling all the stories. Um, so thank you so much. I think that you're such a positive light in this world, and it's exactly what we need right now. So. Thanks for being here today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.